This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening is Mr. Macaraccio. Matt, another week of the college football season in the books. How are you doing, my friend? And Deontay Johnson scores a 43-yard touchdown. Now, I don't know if you guys picked him up, but I did, or I at least drafted him. That was somebody we were high on last year, Paul. And and you know what? And I think it was about week four or five, even six of the actual college football season that he started to make big headway in Toledo. So I, I'm excited because, I mean, this is when you start seeing players like him emerge. Even though he's a rookie this year, but it's the time. This These are the times now where we look back and say, that's why I drafted him late in Dynasty Leagues, just to have a, a share of him as he potentially emerges on the next level. Absolutely. I mean, week four of the NFL season literally is going to conclude as Matt and I are recording this podcast. Week five of the college football season is in the books. We're going to recap that from the draft eligible prospects to the underclassmen prospects. We're going to take a a look ahead in the tail of the tape to week six of the college football season. It's crazy to think we are already heading towards week six of the college football season. A quarter of the NFL season is already going to be in the books after tonight. I mean, I feel like it was just the summer and we were previewing the season and here we are, you know, a quarter of the way in of the NFL and, you know, you could say, you know, more than a third of the way into the college football season, you know, closely approaching the halfway point of the college football season. A lot to digest and talk about. So let's get right into it for the NFL draft report for week five. I want to start at the wide receiver position. And we've talked about him a little bit, but I the forgotten man, I think, at Alabama in that wide receiving core has been Devonta Smith. And this week he goes off for literally video game type numbers, 11 catches, 274 yards, and five touchdowns. This is a guy who, when I watched in the summer, I came away impressed. I had him... I had him decently high in my wide receiver rankings. He was a guy that I thought was a late day two, early day three prospect. I had concerns about his frame, still do. He's only 175 pounds. But you watch him play, you see a really good route runner, you see precision in his routes, and then you see that burst, that long speed, that game-changing playmaking ability. He When you combine the frame with the speed, it reminds me a little bit of John Brown. I put that tweet out this weekend, you know, on what I subtweeted one of the highlight reels of Devonta Smith. This is a guy who, because of Jerry Judy, because of Henry Ruggs III, because of Jalen Waddell, he just seems to be kind of getting lost in the shuffle. Maybe after this game, he won't be. No, I I, I don't disagree with you. I think he is guilty of playing on an extremely talented team. I think what makes Devonta Smith extremely interesting, and I think what makes him um, very different than some of his comps, which are traditionally, as you had said previously, guys like Robbie Anderson, which I think is an excellent comp, um, John Brown, um, but also players like Josh Doxson. When I'm thinking about Josh Doxson coming out of you know TCU, I think what makes him a little bit different is he combines, I think, an un an uncanny ability to not only win at the catch point, but also to win 
after the catch with good contact fidelity. He has that speed, but he's harnessed that speed and he's weaponized it and he's shown tremendous skill and elusiveness in the open field. Because, I mean, there are times where I think Henry Ruggs is extremely impressive. And then there are times I know he's winning the angle just because of his speed. Now, that's not something that I'm, I'm, you know, that he should be damned for or anything. It's not like it makes him any less of a football player. But I'm just saying is, is that there's a player where I watched Devonta Smith and I see a tremendous variety of ways that he wins, not only as a route runner, but also at the catch point, also through collisions. He's an impressive player. And I think that he's going to really be one of those situations where he's going to go to the next level. And I think his best football is still ahead of him, despite having this blow up game. So I'm excited for him, Paul. And I think somebody put out, um, I think somebody put out a very interesting tweet. So forgive me if, if I'm mentioning your tweet and I, I don't remember your name to be on off the top of my head, but, um, it was great nonetheless. I, somebody brought up a really good point. <laughs> like, you know, Tua Tangavaloa might be playing with the most talented group of wide receivers he might play with, um, in at least the first part of his career that he's playing with right now. And I thought that was a really profound tweet, and I think it might actually be very true, to be very honest with you. That's how good those Alabama receivers are. Yeah, and I don't think it's far-fetched, because if you think about it, we are in consensus that Jerry Judy is a first-round lock, potentially top 10. I've been on record that I think Henry Ruggs and his unique speed and and skill is going to go in the first round. I think Devonta Smith probably goes in the top 100. And when Jalen Waddle's draft eligible, he's probably a top 100 pick. So if you look... On an NFL roster right now, well, listen, we don't know how these guys translate to the NFL level, but you look at an NFL team, you know, it's not often most, it's not often that quarterbacks are given two first round top 20 picks plus two other day two picks, you know, on their, on their top four wide receivers at the depth chart. That doesn't happen too often. You know, maybe at later in their careers, guys move around who didn't pan out. And, you know, like right now, Cody Latimer was like a second round pick for the Giants. You know, he's on their team right now you know like later on but you know these are four legitimate players that you know are really impressive and if Devonta Smith is not a big name I think some of the other names I wrote down this week you know are guys that have been garnering a lot of attention since the offseason you know for some of these guys have been on the right radar since last year C.D. Lamb had his biggest performance of the season seven catches 185 yards and three touchdowns showing the ball skills and body control that I think make him a special player right now all the attention has been with Jalen Hurts that I think CD Lamb and his talent level has has a little bit been in the background I think this week you know Hertz found him consistently and we saw some of those big play abilities. One, he like bounced off a guy and, and went to the end zone after a catch over the middle of the field. But we saw, we saw him put on his whole package this week. T Higgins, six catches, 129 yards and one touchdown. We'll talk a little bit more in the Debbie slant about the. Clemson game and some of their other prospects. They struggled this week, but T. Higgins continues to make uh, plays vertically down the field. Big play threat with that that performance. Uh, Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota. Again, precise route runner. I've compared him to like a Robert Woods type player. Stanley Morgan Jr. from last year. Eight catches, 73 yards, and one touchdown. Tylen Wallace for Oklahoma State. Eight catches, 145 yards. Continue to live up to his potential. And then Tamarian Terry from Florida State. A guy who I was very high on. Uh, Florida State, you know, has shown some life. Alex Horneybrook has, has improved that overall offense. 
Terry's a guy who, again, redshirt sophomore, don't know if he's going to come out, but I like his big playability. I think he could be a vertical outside starting X wide receiver. So I, I was impressed with that. And I wanted to bring up your guy, Matt. You talked about him at least twice since we had uh, these seasonal podcasts uh, during the season. Courtney Davis had seven catches, 62 yards, and found the end zone twice himself. Any thoughts on any of those guys, whether it's Courtney Davis or any of the big guys, C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins, Tylen Wallace, Tamarian Terry, or Tyler Johnson? And even and even Jamon Osborne had a, had a solid game. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think what you're starting to see, I think with with some of the guys, I think you're starting to see that that health and being part finally of a, of a you know of a, of a cohesive offense. And I think that speaks really to the Texas A&M players. I mean. There was a lot of injuries. Courtney Davis was injured, right? Jamon Osborne was was injured. The 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 quarterback position was somewhat of a carousel until Kellen Mond finally settled in. So it, it was good to see that these guys are finally developing some chemistry and we're able to start seeing what they're capable of doing. Um, Courtney Davis is one guy that I, I still will pound the table for that people need to watch more of. I, I still think you're going to be coming away, you know, probably really surprised at just how solid of a player he is all around. He's one of those guys that I think you're going to say almost he's going to have, I, I predict not, not predict. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I kind of see him having a rise very similar to like a Deshaun Hamilton. He might have that type of rise where people are like, huh, he's pretty, he's pretty slippery. He's pretty skillful when it comes to his releases. Wow, he's got he's got pretty deceptive routes. He's he's pretty elusive at the top of his routes. He's hard to get a handle on. He makes solid catches. Like, I think you're going to really remark at just how well-rounded his abilities are. So I, I like Courtney Davis. Tylen Wallace still continues to surprise me. I mean, he was a player that I kept grappling with in the preseason about how high should I put him because I was really just that impressed with him overall as a player, and I just felt that he fit – Exactly. I mean, we just we, we kind of just led with it. Honestly, we talked about Deontay Johnson to lead the show and his forty-three yard touch, touchdown. Tylen Wallace isn't too far off from what Deontay Johnson was, and I think Deontay Johnson is still only scratching the surface of what he can be at the NFL level. And I think T- Tylen Wallace is probably in that group. So I mean, there's just so much, so much ball. I think at the wide receiver position where. We're going to have to unfortunately put them in some type of rank order based on the types of skills that they were able to display at the collegiate level. And a lot of that is going to be reflective of the type of situations and the type of competition and the type of scenarios that they were in. But I think that there's that, that the blend of solutions that each of these guys has shown. All these guys have shown solutions in various, various ways. They're not very many one-dimensional players. And I think that that's something that really is a hallmark of this class. And I think that's where the depth comes. We talk about depth. Why is there depth? I don't think it's just because these guys are all talented. Let's get a little bit more granular. I think these guys are all extremely versatile in terms of their toolboxes and how they solve problems on the field at wide receiver position. They can do it deceptively in their rights, the routes. They can do it after contact. They can do it after the catch. They can do it at the release. These are guys that are just very varied. And I think that that is a hallmark of this class. And that's why I think this class is going to really just take, I think it's really just going to take the NFL by storm. I think there's going to be a lot of good players that come out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think we're seeing wide receivers make an impact this year. And this wasn't even a class that was very, you know, highly regarded, I think. And I think we're seeing it though, that these guys are coming in and NFL teams are doing a better job at asking these guys to do what they do well and use them, you know, 
for an example, DK Metcalf, who I had some reservations about, and he's been, you know, a little inconsistent, but that's expected. But Seattle's not asking him to do more than he could handle. At Ole Miss, he played one side of the field. Seattle's asking him to run routes on one side of the field. Seattle's asking him to run the routes that pretty much Ole Miss asked him. So they're trying to get these guys acclimated to the NFL in a way that they feel comfortable and they're familiar with in terms of how they were utilized at the collegiate level. And I think that's a great way of trying to get these guys introduced and then start to expand it and increase what you ask of these guys. And I think the more teams that are doing that in the NFL level, you're going to see more of an impact from these rookies. And next year, I think there's a lot of prospects at the wide receiver position that are going to be able to transition smoothly into the NFL and, and make a name for themselves rather quickly. Before I take this to the running backs, there was a couple of running backs that stood out. I did want to at least make a quick note. Not much in the tight end department this week, but keep an eye on C.J. O'Grady out of Arkansas. He's a guy who was in the the scouting notebook. He intrigued me when I watched him over the summer. He's six foot four, two hundred and fifty six pounds. This past week against Texas A and M, he had eight catches, ninety one yards. He's had a solid season. He had some in the past, some off the field issues. And I think that hurt his overall status and stock a little bit. But this is a guy who's a complete tight end. He's got the size and frame that he could hold up as a blocker and play a little in line. But I like his pass catching ability, his physicality, his toughness. I think he's got above average athleticism and quickness. O'Grady is a guy who really intrigues me. Uh, could be an intriguing date three option. We're always looking for those date three options at the tight end position. Uh, I think O'Grady is one of those guys that could be on the radar of NFL teams, you know, when the time comes for the 2020 NFL draft. If I take this to the running back position, Matt, I want to bring up Travis Ethan. He hasn't been the big play threat and has not put up really gaudy stats for the most part this entire season so far. Any thoughts on Ethan and maybe why that is? Is it just a product of Clemson starting out this season slow? Uh, is it is it something particular with him? Do you think defenses are, are honing in on him? Any thoughts on Travis Ethan? Because we know his upside. We've seen that speed, the stop and go acceleration, you know, the burst, the big play ability, you know, for a guy his size, the contact fidelity that he shows, the toughness and physicality to finish runs. But this year, it just seems like Ethan hasn't had much of that in terms of those big plays that we're so accustomed to from Ethan. Any thoughts on Ethan? Honestly, I mean, I think the entire Clemson offense has been something of a sleep right now. They they really haven't. I mean, I mean, you'd be shocked. I mean, like for me to say they're asleep and they put up almost like a fifty spot in the last couple of games. I mean, how is that possible? Um, uh, because I, I just don't think they're firing on all cylinders. And I think it goes a lot back to the quarterback we're going to talk about later. Um, it goes back to Trevor Lawrence and, and what they're doing there in terms of executing on offense. I think when you look at Travis Etienne, um, I, I think Travis Etienne has already proven himself to be a very, very, very good back. And I think that he's a great running back prospect. I think that we've talked at length about both his strengths and his limitations. And, Listen, it, it goes back to what we talk about in terms of how we define skill. We look at skill not in terms of the physical capacities that you possess, but in terms of the way you leverage those physical capabilities in solving the variety of problems that emerge on the field during a game. And I think when you look at Etienne, he's not the most dynamic of all the backs. 
that when it comes to, you know, this class, I think that's DeAndre Swift. And I think that's pretty much the, the, where it starts that discussion. I don't think we should start with any other back. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, excellent back, really, really impressive runner. I have nothing. I have nothing but incredible things to say about him and where he'll be at the next level, but he is not the most versatile and dynamic back in this class. I don't think Travis Etienne is as well. I think that there's things that he can do and there's things that he can do between the tackles, what he can do in the open field, what he can do in terms of adding that layer of contact fidelity that we talked about in the preseason. He added that, that little strength to his run, but we're not talking about the most dynamic back in terms of adapting his capabilities to a variety of situations. I do think he's impressive, but I do think that there's there's still room for growth. And that's the exciting part, Paul. That's the exciting part for everybody listening here that just loves watching players develop, loves the game. Know that these guys haven't even scratched the surface of what we think that they're capable of doing. Imagine Jonathan Taylor could be an all-around three-down back that can do everything out of the backfield. Imagine that's going to happen soon. Imagine um, a DeAndre Swift just developing his repertoire even further, becoming even more sensitive to the point where we're going to be talking about potentially Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, and DeAndre Swift in the same breath. I'm not being crazy. I think that's fair. It could happen. They're that good. And like the, these are just craziness, but that's what I'm, I'm I'm imploring people to understand. So why is Travis Etienne um, his production not up? I mean that has a lot to do, I think, with the synergistic level of what a team and their offense and what every player means to one another. We can't just silo it down to one player and their performance. It's as much as about what's going on in Clemson as a team, I think, than it is about Travis Etienne, and that's I think a very important part of of evaluation that we should know now from our mishaps or our parable that was the Daniel Jones evaluation. We should be learning a little bit more from that evaluation because that taught us a lot about making sure we're taking everything into context. And you know what, Paul? I'm going to be honest with you. I've got to watch their games more closely um, to really try to pick up on it. My feeling was is that it's 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 an entire systemic thing amongst every player. They're just not executing at the same level that they were last year. Why? That's a that's a definitely a little bit more of a fine tooth comb question. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And I, you know, listen, everyone's getting up for Clemson. It's it's literally when these teams play Clemson, that's it's point. their that's it's a very Super good Bowl. Point, it's their Super yeah. Bowl. It's their it's their national championship without being a national championship. It's it's their game that they're literally playing their hearts out and trying to pull off the major upset, and they are getting absolutely everybody's best. And you know, it's it's interesting. I still think Ethan is a guy who I think before the season's out, we will see that big play guy again he will still be one of the more highly regarded running back prospects in this class provided he comes out uh but it's just been interesting to see him get off to a little bit of a slow start uh when we've seen other guys like Jonathan Taylor you know explode every single week uh and another guy I'm going to bring up right now Chubba Hubbard another 296 yards and one touchdown Matt and I have made a conscientious effort to not talk about the same players every single week and do this you know uh football season try to be a little bit different and and go a little bit more in depth and and talk about less guys but be a little bit more in depth on it but Chubba Hubbard every single week makes my list like I have to mention them because the stats are so gaudy you know every week it's 
big play after big play, showing the burst, the acceleration, the change of direction for a big guy. You know, listen, I still have some questions about play strength and inside interior running at the next level and, and how he could withstand it. But he is literally been the focal point of that offense, carrying that team at times and just putting up ridiculous stats, showing that big play capability. So if anybody had any questions on whether or not, you know, he was a guy who could at least be a, a round three or round four type player, I think a hundred percent, you know, he's that type of player uh, because of his big play potential that he offers, uh, you know, at the next level. And speaking of big play potential, and then I'll bring you back in, Matt, uh, Savan Ahmed out of Washington, 17 carries, 159 yards and one touchdown. He was a guy I watched over the summer and I was intrigued by the big play potential, the the burst, the long speed, the athletic ability. I mean, obviously the size and the frame are not, you know, bell cow type backs. But I look at him and I think there's a role for him at the next level. You know, you pair him with a a team that has more of a physical style interior runner and you're looking for that change of pace explosion guy. That's Ahmed. And I thought this week, you know, he showed some of that, that big play potential, that, that burst acceleration that to me and that elusiveness and change of direction and agility in the open field that makes him an intriguing NFL prospect. Any thoughts on Hubbard, Ahmed, any other running backs that you wanted to mention from the draft eligible guys? No, I mean, I, I think I think there's some some guys to talk about more in the Debbie slant that I think were fun. Um, but I think that those guys have pretty much, in my opinion, have held serve outside of ETN and there's and obviously we just unpacked that a little bit. But for the most part, I think most of the running backs I could argue that everybody that we checked out was has pretty much held serve so far. Like you said, there's not really anybody falling off you know, the reservation in terms of production. And, and we're pretty confident that ATN will be right there when it comes down to even, even Cam Akers was fine this past weekend. I mean, it wasn't a hundred yard game, but he had like 85 yards or something on like, you know, 10 carries or something stupid like that. It was like eight yards to carry. So, I mean, like, you know, even Cam Akers, you know, for, for everything that we were worried about with him, um, he's held serve. Um, I, I didn't really feel I don't really feel like, you know, this particular group of running backs has done anything to mislead us. So, Paul, I'm going to just transition into the quarterbacks for a moment. And I'm just going to ask you this as a leading question, not to sabotage what you prepared, but to to more or less kind of give you an interesting maybe kind of stepping stone into it. Right now, because this is kind of a blend of both worlds, who are we talking about in terms of the Heisman race? Yeah, I mean... I, I both guys. I think it's Jalen Hurts or Tua with Justin Fields third right now. But yep. I, I think it's I think it's Tua and Hurts, and I it's fascinating to me that those could be the two finalists in New York City for the Heisman. Former teammates, you know. I let's say on Hurts for a second. Big, wait, wait, hold on. Wait before you go. To, bigger win if if let's say let's just say Jalen Hurts is there. Bigger win for Jalen Hurts and what his stock is, or bigger win for Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I mean, l- listen, Lincoln Riley doing this year after year is, is just remarkable. But I will say bigger win for Jalen Hurts because he looks like a different player. And listen, part of it can be attributed to the scheme. But let's not let's not pretend we can literally put any single player in any single scheme and it should work because I don't think that's the case. Now, maybe Lincoln Riley proves me wrong and this is just a yearly thing year after year. But I do think... 
you know, Baker Mayfield, talented player, skillful player. Kyler Murray, talented player, skillful player. Listen, I'm not sitting here saying Jalen Hurts is going to be the first pick in the NFL draft because he's not. He's not even going to be close to it if he even gets drafted to be a quarterback. You know, so the previous two years, he had the, 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 the guy that the NFL thought was the best prospect and worthy of going the first pick in the NFL draft. He doesn't have that this year. So it's definitely a win that he's getting this out of him, but let's not, let's not, let's not be short-sighted in not giving Jalen Hurts the credit because the more I've watched of Jalen Hurts this year, the more he looks like a totally different player. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago and I haven't done it yet, but there's going to come a time where I'm going to have to sit down and just watch Jalen Hurts games from this year and basically delete everything I wrote in the scouting notebook in terms of his pure quarterback traits and reassess them for what he's doing now and not watch any of the Alabama film because he shouldn't be judged on that anymore. He looks like a different prospect, like a completely different quarterback. You know, to me, prior to this year, he was a guy that had good arm talent to push the ball vertically down the field and he can make some plays, you know, off off structure, off script, on the move, whatever you want to call it. He can make plays when the when the play breaks down with his legs and he had the speed and, and athleticism to do things and pick up chunk yards there. But he looked like a guy that probably wasn't going to be playing quarterback at the next level due to things like accuracy and ball placement and, you know, and overall decision making and touch and and stuff like that. And then you watch him this year and he looks like a completely different player, like completely different. So like showing better ball placement, showing better decision making, going through, you know, even if it's just one or two progressions, you know, showing that ability, standing in the pocket longer, not just looking to run immediately. Yeah. I mean, part of that's the scheme, but part of that's him and and the growth and development that he has shown in this scheme. And I think it warrants attention from us. So I, I've been blown away by him. I'm not sitting here saying he's going to be a guy that's highly regarded because I still think he's got more to show. But but I've already changed my tune that I don't know if he's got to be a guy who changes positions. He He's a guy that at least shown enough with his raw tools and what we've seen this year that he could – again, be on the radar as a quarterback prospect. And I didn't know if we were ever going to see that. And that, to me, is already an accomplishment. Yeah, I, I think there's merit to everything that you just said. I'm, I'm right there with you to some degree. And I'm, I, I think what you said, which was so so poignant, was that you talked about the development relative to the scheme. And I think that that's a really important distinction to make because I think that one thing, again, I, I don't want to keep keep saying it this way, but I think one thing that was a, a real you know, kind of wake up call, um, for a lot of the analysis that we do and, and really almost a, a kind of a, a reaffirmation of the type of analysis that we're attempting, which is to really focus on the problem. What type of problem these players are facing was Daniel Jones and the way in which we kind of marginalized, maybe taking a closer look at the level of play that he was playing with and the types of players he was playing alongside and, and kind of maybe you know, understanding what that was and how it kind of impacted and maybe shaped his own game. I think the same thing is true for Jalen Hurts. And I think that, listen, nobody should be judged on the spelling test they took in third grade. If everybody's like, well, you know, that third grade spelling bee, man, you were really pressing. I remember when they gave you encyclopedia, you totally bombed it. And that, you know, that shouldn't compromise your next future job opportunity at 35 years old. But 
I mean, in that same vein, I do think that there's something to be said about saying, let's look at the nature of the problems he's facing in the SEC. What types of defenses, what types of players, what types of opposition was he facing? And in what way was the offense kind of designed and tailored to him in light of that? And now how did he perform under those circumstances and what types of throws was he making under those particular circumstances relative to now where he is today? You know, in the Big 12, in a team with an offense that is kind of proven, has proven to be, you know, a very space-oriented offense that can create some offensive opportunities for the player. You know, where does that all fit in? And what type of quarterback are we seeing relative to the circumstances that we see him performing in now as compared to when he was playing in a completely different league? So it's not to say that we don't celebrate growth and wonder if the development is in fact authentic, because I think it is. I don't think that a player is inauthentic in their growth. But to what degree are we talking about the problems he's facing in the Big 12 being commiserate with the problems he's going to face at the NFL level? And where does it all fit in hand in hand? And I think these are important questions that we're going to have to unpack throughout the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I mean, I I think the level of disparity between the Big 12 and the SEC and then the Big 12 and the NFL is is great, is staggering. So I I do think that's part of it. Uh so I do think it'll be interesting to see when Oklahoma, you know, maybe is on their way to the playoff and maybe they're they're facing an Alabama or Georgia or a Clemson and it'll be interesting to see them in that environment because it is a different environment than than playing in the Big 12. So I think that'll be an interesting test if we get a chance to see that down the line. One final guy and I won't go into him but just keep an eye out. He was on our watch list in the scouting notebook. Didn't have a full profile on him but Sean Clifford, the quarterback out of Penn State, is starting to really, you know, make some noise. He's a guy who I want to get some eyes on and get some more film watching on him. He's 6'2", 216 pounds this week. He was 26 of 31, 398 yards and three touchdowns. He was a guy who was generating some buzz in the summer as a guy who maybe was on his way to being a little bit of a breakout player this year, an under-the-radar guy. So keep an eye on, out on Sean Clifford. So, Matt, let's take this to the Debbie slant. Before I let you rattle off some guys who I know, we already talked about Clemson a little bit and their early season slumber, whatever we want to call it. Is that can we just put Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross in that mix? Is it is it the whole team collectively? Because I kind of thought these were going to be two guys that if we just routinely checked in week in and week out, that we were just going to say, yep, another 300 yards and four touchdowns, another 120 yards receiving and two touchdowns. And and Justin Ross has been pretty quiet the whole year. I think he's one of the most talented receivers in the entire country. But right now, the stats aren't meeting that. And then Trevor Lawrence, who, I mean, was just so unbelievable early on is this more of his or his struggles do we think you know just the part of the evolution of learning the quarterback position now teams have more film on him or do are throwing different things at him and now it's on him to adjust you know because it was such a foregone conclusion that people thought this guy can just you know skip years of college football just wait to be the number one pick in the draft and you were always at the forefront of saying not so fast let's not forget about justin fields as much as you love trevor lawrence as well but right now i mean usually the nitpicking of guys is in their final year in college 
for Trevor Lawrence, it seems to be starting now a year earlier where you started to hear some whispers this weekend, you know, about maybe people were too quick to kind of anoint him, you know, the great one or the next one. Uh, any thoughts on, on the, the Clemson underclassmen who just looked like on the fast track to full-blown superstars and so far this year have not lived up to that level yet? Yeah, it, well, I think there's a, a combination of things. I think, first of all, like you said, um, previously, I think everybody is getting their best punch, right? So everybody, Clemson's always getting their best punch. But also, I think that, it, I think collectively, the, the Clemson offense has just not looked great. That goes from the O line all the way into the quarterback position. I think collectively, they just haven't looked wonderful. In terms of Trevor Lawrence and, you know, where he is in terms of his development, he's developing. And I think that what people have to understand about development and the way the human movement system kind of develops is something that, you know, I had the privilege of, of kind of learning from others as I began to kind of like study this a little bit more. Listen, you know, when things are going to change is when you start seeing players experiment, when you start seeing players abilities kind of look shady and shifty and it looks like they're making mistakes. It means they're in that kind of, to quote uh, Marion Davies, they're in the ugly zone. You know, they're in the ugly zone where there's good moments and then there's terrible moments. There's moments where they're trying new things, whether it's cognitively looking at different things or they're trying different types of patterns of coordination. There's there's just ugly things going on. But you know what happens at the end of everything that's ugly? It's the same way the caterpillar becomes the butterfly. You know what I mean? You reach new plateaus of actual skill level. So there's always going to be a dip before there is some cataclysmic type of gain. And I think that's important to understand about skill development. It's nonlinear. You don't get better every year. And I and I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm tired of everybody saying that this we saw this last year. We did not. Trevor Lawrence was one of the best quarterbacks in the country last year. He would have gotten picked in the top ten. So let's stop the entire discussion. Tell me where there's a, a there's a honestly honestly tell me where he would have gotten out of the first round. Tell me a reality where that would have happened last year if he was eligible. Because I don't buy it. I really don't buy it, Paul. I don't buy it for one hot second. This is a six foot six, two hundred and twenty pound kid that can move in the open field, extend the play, and throws with tremendous touch. There's no way he gets out of the first round. So let's just I think it's lunacy and absolute ridiculousness for anybody to pretend that he was a second round pick or worse last year. So, like, why is he developing? Why didn't he take the next step then, Matt? So, so if I agree with you, but why didn't he take the next step? Well, because he's also developing too, and there's also development happening against him. To your point, Paul, there's now a season of film, so they have to adjust, and he has to adjust. So why hasn't he made those adjustments? We haven't seen anything spectacular. It's a great question, and honestly, this is where our distance from the playing field has its has its issues. We're too far back, Paul, from our status to be able to really inquire about those things. I mean, from the film that I've seen, you know, do I think he's pressing? I don't think he's pressing. I, I think he's trying to I think he's trying to work with the situation the way it is, but I mean, let again, I, I think it's it's kind of hard to just put the trigger man as the only reason why the offense isn't running well. There's a little bit of everything to go around there. They're just not winning as an offense either. So, I mean, I don't, I think it's a little bit short sighted to just focus on Trevor Lawrence, but 
to the to the tune that everybody was like, well, he's the guy. He's definitely not the hero we thought he was. I I just I really can't subscribe to that. I and I would really really welcome a discussion as to where those gut wrenching issues that people are claiming were evident last year existed. Because I'd love to know where that was. Because I can equally tell you, for whatever issues you had, you're also talking about a kid who came in as a freshman and was able to handle the stage that he could handle. And you tell me where that shows up in the production column. Because it doesn't. And that speaks very, 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 very strongly to his makeup as a player. And that is something that I will not hear anybody challenge. Because that is ridiculous. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so impassioned. You rarely hear me get impassioned about it, but I'm just tired of everybody coming out and saying, well, he was really wasn't that good. Really? Really, people? You're better than that. Don't yeah, say I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, that's just nonsensical. I mean, that's just that's just moronic statements. I mean, I think what we're seeing, though, is just the ebbs and flows of the... Development. The, growing. Yeah. Being, you know, changing. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking about the ebbs and flows even just of the microwave society of hot takes of, you know, by quarter, by play. And, you know, we sort of, you know, way back when with Andrew Locke before Saturday or Sunday was a thing, he, you know, was praised the, the, the next one and then he was nitpicked and then he was praised and then he was nitpicked and, and that. And then, you know, we saw it with Josh Rosen and, and maybe, you know, the nitpicking was justified. It's impossible to even really know based on what he's been surrounded by for two years in the NFL. So these guys that come with really lofty expectations and immediately become sensations, it's, it's just ebbs and flows in, in a collegiate career and with people giving hot takes and you know making statements it's just it, i just think it's part of what we have to push back against now for people like us who who you know look at more of the big picture and not make such drastic decisions off a game or off a quarter or off a play or two uh that i think sometimes is put out there uh, if we if we just keep this moving, other guys that I just put, and then I'm going to hand it over to you and let you go on any other guys that you want to get into. I thought Bo Nix was really impressive this week. The the freshman continues to impress me. 335 yards, two touchdowns in the air, 56 yards rushing, another touchdown. Justin Fields, we already talked about it. He's probably third in the Heisman right now. Really impressive performance by Ohio State again this week. He had three touchdowns passing, one rushing, another four-touchdown day, you know, Again, living up again, he's the guy right now living up to all the hype and potential. But come next year, we'll probably see some development and, you know, adjustments to him too. So it's just part of the cycle. Uh, Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, six catches, 177 yards and two touchdowns. He seems to be morphing into their alpha wide receiver, maybe even ahead of Tyler Johnson right now. And Seth Williams, eight catches, 161 yards and two touchdowns. I think we're talking about Bateman, Seth Williams, two guys that are going to be highly regarded uh, prospects when it when it's their time to be draft eligible. Matt, any other underclassmen you want to bring up in the Debbie Slant? Yeah, I mean, I got a, I got a couple here, and I'm actually going to probably. I mean, Yuri stole one, Paul, so I guess I might as well start there. Um, Yuri stole one in Bo Nix. Bo Nix was our top quarterback here at the at the Saturday or Sunday football podcast. That was our number one quarterback in the freshman notebook. Um, he was by far the best. And again, you have to remember to, to everybody that's listening. I mean, you know, Paul and I are are constantly trying to. I mean, our seminar series is kind of a testament to that. Paul and I are are never quite satisfied with just kind of accepting 
evaluative practice without first scrutinizing over the practices that we're using. Because of course, we want to just try to keep keep pushing the envelope. That's kind of what we enjoy. That's what we're passionate about. Um, so, you know, for us, we've really grown in terms of our perspective on evaluation. And to whatever degree it's valid, we'll see. But we, we definitely have tried to push the spectrum. And in that new lens that we've been using in terms of that problem solver lens, Bonix was the most um, complete and most, um, let's say, versatile and agile and dexterous problem solver at the quarterback position in this respective class. I mean, he even eclipsed, in my opinion, Spencer Rattler, who was the actual Elite 11 MVP that previous season. So, I mean, you know, Bonix is an absolute stud. Um, I do think that I see a lot in his game. I mean, we talked about um, we talked about the Sam Ellingers of the world. Um, we're talking about now as we watch um, the Kyle Allens of the world on the big stage. We talk about watching guys like you know Baker Mayfield and players like that, and Russell Wilson. And there's a world and there's a sphere of influence where that's exactly where Bo Nix lives. And Bo Nix has that type of pedigree in terms of his father being a coach, his family being very much a legendary coaching family. I mean, he has been exposed to the game for years, and it shows on the field, and he plays the position with such utter brilliance at times that it's hard to not just gasp at what he can do at the position. And listen, he's been challenged, significantly challenged. It's not been everything coming up roses for him, but he's at least shown that he can handle the load. And that in that alone is very impressive. And again, it goes back to, forgive me for going back to our Trevor Lawrence rant, but it goes back to why we can't just say, you know, Trevor Lawrence is the most impressive player you know, right now in college football, he's, he's definitely up there. Yes. He had a lot of growing to do. And that's why we talk about Justin Fields, who is a player that is still coming around into his own. The quarterback, the quarterback position in short is going to be full, full of unbelievable players for the next five to 10 years. And we should be excited as football fans that we were so worried that when Philip Rivers and Tom Brady and everybody retired, that this position would be devout of brilliance. Um, we were worried that there might not be those players. Then Patrick Mahomes comes along, sets the world on fire. Lamar Jackson taking the next step. Josh Allen showing competency in ways that we couldn't even believe. And I'm telling you, as great as those guys are, and I love Patrick Mahomes, as great as those guys are, man, I'm telling you, some of the best players, I think, at the position are still yet to come. And that's crazy, if that can even be said. But other players at the Debbie Slant level that we just need to talk about, I mean, just quickly, I'll run through them. Jaden Hazelwood, the freshman, I mean, he's a freshman, six foot two, 206 pounds. He was one of the number one receivers in the country this past year. He had a little bit of a game for himself against Texas Tech. He had six receptions for 59 yards. That's impressive because he's getting on the field. He's getting on the field, and that's impressive because he's still an underclassman wide receiver, and he's getting on the fields alongside Jalen Hurts. And then in the distance, Paul, in the distance, Jerry on Ely, Jerry on Ely. It's happening. It's happening. His carries are slowly starting to increase. Yes, everybody can think I should be committed, but it's true. It's happening. 11 attempts for 68 yards, a reception for nine yards. He had one receiving touchdown. It's happening. They're starting to say, who are the best players that can really impact our team here at Ole Miss? Slowly but surely, Jeriani Lee is showing that he's good for about 6.5 yards per carry. It's happening. He's that good, guys. I think Jeriani Lee is a guy I'd still try to get anywhere I can. 
Um, in addition, I'd also talk about Master Teague. We talked about him last time. He had himself a little bit of a game, didn't he, against Nebraska with 12 attempts for 77 yards, good for two touchdowns and one reception for 28 yards. Master Teague showing that he might be the heir apparent to J.K. Dobbins once all is said and done. So, Paul, I think those pretty much rounded out. I'll also give you one more just to kind of chew on, if you guys don't mind. But Devin Ford was our number five, I think, overall running back here at the Saturday or Sunday Football Podcast. We had him at number four or number five um, in this particular freshman class. And I'll tell you, the five foot eleven, one hundred and ninety four pound freshman seems to be making his way onto the stat sheet very consistently in every game. This time against Maryland, he had seven attempts for forty three yards, one reception for fifteen yards. He's contributing both in the return game as well as in the passing, as well as also in the rushing game. Devin Ford is a player to just keep on your radar. If he's available this offseason in your Devi leagues, he's a guy I highly, highly recommend you go out there and get early because he's one of those all-purpose backs that is really, really, really impressive. And I think you're talking about a player that's on the same level. I don't think he's Jerion Ely. I think Jerion Ely deserves the number one mantle. And I think John Emery, and I think, you know, um, I think John Emery, and I do think, um, that Trey Sanders as well deserves to be the top three and Zach Charbonnet, they deserve to be the top three, four, five guys. But I think right after Charbonnet, I think right after uh, Trey Sanders, I think Devin Ford is the next man up. And I think his all purpose back behavior is something that we should be clamoring for, especially since we see the way in which the NFL is trending as we move forward into this passing happy era type of league that we're living in. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because I did make a note uh about Jerry on Ely that said he seems to have taken over the backfield lead. A lot of people thought Phillips this year was going to be a guy that maybe yeah, I, I did too. a guy that, you know, pushed the envelope, maybe was a draft eligible guy. When I watched him in the summer, I kind of came away thinking he was maybe a late round pick still, still think that's possible uh, or UDFA, but I, I think it's hard to see them not making the switch full time where Ely's going to lead that backfield in touches. There's just no reason for it. The, the explosion and the burst and the talent differentiation between him and every other back is visible already. So I, I'm glad you brought that point up. So let's go to the tail of the tape where we take a quick preview ahead to week six and individual matchups and prospects we're looking forward to. A couple interesting things. I think the one of the must watch games of the year is this weekend. And it's not in terms of what the final scoreboard is going to say. But if you like prospects, if you like evaluating prospects, you need to have eyes on Utah State versus LSU because this is going to be a game that for all the Jordan Love fans out there, and Matt and I are at the top of the list, you want to see him in this environment. He's going to be very outmatched and undermanned. How does he look? I remember watching Daniel Jones against Clemson, and it wasn't pretty. But if you go back and watch more of that, you see you have to you have to look through it, and you have to understand that it's probably not going to look pretty. But you have to kind of look for dig deep in that film to see things that stood out in that in this in, in that type of environment, and that's what you're going to kind of have with with Utah State versus LSU this week. So I think that's something to watch right at the top of the list. Obviously on the LSU side, Joe Burrow, his wide receivers, what we've been seeing at LSU offense, I'm sure they will keep it rolling this week. Uh, 
Iowa versus Michigan. Interested to watch that one. Nate Stanley, some people still think he is a draft-eligible quarterback. I think he's more of a early day three to mid-day three. Some people think even higher than that. Uh, so keep an eye on him. On the Michigan side, I'll be watching the wide receivers. I think those are the guys with the highest ceilings in terms of draft potential. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, Nico Collins. Uh, Auburn versus Florida. We already talked about Bo Nix, Seth Williams. On the Florida side, you know, their running backs. I, I thought we were going to see a little bit more concentration on Michael Pirine and, uh, and Davis. That just hasn't really came to fruition. They're using a bunch of guys there. So it would be interesting to see what the, the backfield touches look like this week. Tyree Cleveland, a guy who has never been able to live up to the potential and talent, but still one of their leading receivers there. I'm interested to watch him. Michigan State versus Ohio State. For Michigan State, Brian Lewarki. Can Michigan State keep this competitive against Ohio State and their juggernaut fields? J.K. Dobbins, K.J. Hill, the rest of the, you know, Master Key, the rest of the guys that we're talking about be watching all of them. And then Washington versus Stanford, another opportunity to watch Jacob Eason closely, continues to develop and show progress. And I think he is now on his way of being a top 50 pick in next year's NFL draft. Uh, and then the Stanford side, keep an eye on Colby Parkinson. I think one of the top tight ends in the 2020 class as well. Matt, anything you want to elaborate on, on any of the prospects I mentioned from these five games or anything else that you're excited for, for this upcoming weekend? Yeah, for me, there's two ACC games that I think are worth your time. Uh, if you're interested in watching, uh, you know, some prospects unfold a little bit, I think the Boston College Louisville game is going to be an interesting game to watch. I think there's something to be said about, you know, taking a look at guys like, you know, uh, Des Fitzpatrick, as well as taking a look at AJ Dillon and seeing what those guys can offer. And I think that's going to be an interesting game. Um, I also think that it's really interesting to look at Virginia Tech and Miami. Um, I still remain resolute that Miami has, uh, one of the best young quarterbacks in the country, maybe somebody that's still in the process of making his way up the food chain in terms of being heralded as one of the better quarterbacks. But I think nonetheless, performance wise, I think he's showing that he is a really, really impressive quarterback to say the least. And I'm talking about Jaron Williams, who very quietly, Paul, very quietly um, has put up a 72.7% completion percentage, already a thousand yards passing, seven touchdowns and no interceptions. So, I mean, Jaron Williams is again, six foot two, 210 pounds. He's a red shirt freshman. He's a player that we really liked here at the Saturday Sunday football podcast as a part, as a prospect at the quarterback position. And I think there's more to be had from him and he's going up against Virginia tech who we can all argue the Hokies, man, they never seem to, they never seem to put up a bad passing defense, do they? Right. They always seem to be very, very sound when it comes to their secondary. So I'd be very interested in seeing how Miami attacks them. And I think that Miami game has very interesting players to keep your eyes on outside of Jaron Williams. I do think you have to pay attention to um, their upstart running back, right? I mean, we're talking about an upstart running back in terms of the junior five foot 10, 215 pounds. We're talking about DJ Dallas, who's probably a player that we're talking about probably in that day three conversation, but still nonetheless, I mean, he's good for about 6.7 yards per carry. I mean, he's been putting up some solid numbers, you know, throughout this year. He has already 343 yards rushing. So he's a player that I'm interested in. And I'm telling you, their number one receiver, and I would argue probably the future top top 25, right? Top 25 first round draft pick. 
I am talking about Mr. Brevin Jordan, the six foot three, two hundred forty five pound tight end, the sophomore from University of Miami. Man, he's already put up um, this particular year. He's already put up sixteen receptions for two hundred thirty three yards and a touchdown. He continues, I think, to be. Uh, one of the better tight ends in the country. And I think we really have to pay attention to him. And I think this game is going to be a great game for all of us to check out. And um, the last one, Paul, that I'll, I'll just herald and and kind of go out on a limb and continue to kind of acknowledge as being something that we needed to pay attention to. I really do agree with you wholeheartedly. We need to check out the Michigan State-Ohio State game because let me tell you something. When you watch Michigan State, tell me if there's a better game planner out there in terms of defensive mindset than Michigan State and what they can bring to the table. Michigan State is that pesky team, that team that just never seems to go away and they stick with you throughout the entire season. They're barely even ranked highly and they're four and one right now. And tell me, tell me, tell me five players on that team, Paul, other than Brian Lewerke. I mean, I'd be hard pressed to pick up five skill players right now that I think are in the conversation of being draft eligible. That's how good they develop players at Michigan state. Yeah. I mean, I think you're a hundred percent on, on that. And Michigan state is always a well-coached team. Even when they're not highly ranked or highly regarded, they're a team that teams and opponents probably don't want to see on their schedule. So it'll be interesting because right now Ohio state looks like a juggernaut and can they slow them down in game plan to keep that game competitive? I don't think so. But, it, but it'll be fun to watch this week and see if that's something that they can do or not. So let's close out tonight with the NFL rookie report for week four of the, the NFL season. I'm going to start. Not a lot of guys on my list today. First guy I want to bring up is A.J. Brown. No, two more touchdowns this week. He's, he's playing less than 50% of the snaps. But I think it's obvious to anybody who's watching the film that he needs to be garnering more snaps more targets, and more opportunity because I said it before the year started and it was blasphemy. I think he's the most talented wide receiver in, on that team. I think I thought he was more skillful and more talented overall than Corey Davis when I watched him in college. I think A.J. Brown is a guy that when they eventually make him one of the focal points of that offense, when they get better quarterback play, I think the sky's the limit for A.J. Brown. I think Matt and I were both on record as saying he was our number one wide receiver in the class. You know, I know my top three was A.J. Brown, Marquise Brown, and Calvin Harmon. You know, right now, A.J. Brown and Marquise Brown, I think, are living up to that. We'll see if Calvin Harmon ever gets a shot as a sixth-round pick. But A.J. Brown, when he's gotten the opportunity this year, he's really shined. He continues to remind me of a Juju Smith-type player. I think he's best in the slot. The problem is they went out and gave Adam Humphreys big money, so it didn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, so when when A.J. Brown's on the field, he's often playing on the outside, but you're showing his, he's been showing his play after the catch ability, his big play ability after the catch. He's shown his physicality and toughness in his routes, at the top of his routes. Uh, 
strong hands. I like everything about AJ Brown at the tight end position. Use right now the slow start to as a buying window to Noah Fant. Scored a touchdown this week off a, you know, mostly a, a short pass that he ended up taking to the house. But I think the time is, is going to come where he's going to become a focal point of that offense. Maybe it's not this year with Joe Flacco, but in the future, Noah Fant's a guy who I think is going to easily with his athletic ability. I had some concerns about him translating immediately because of his route running and route concepts. And I still do, but I do think he's a guy that his athleticism is going to eventually shine to the point where he's going to be creating mismatches on a regular basis when he's more a focal point of the offense. Dawson Knox, we mentioned him last week, this week for recatches 58 yards against the Patriots continues to be involved on a weekly basis. So I think his arrows pointing up at the running back position. I'm going to talk about a guy for one second who didn't even play as, and barely has played a snap the entire season. And that's Darrell Henderson. I would still go out and buy low on Darrell Henderson. Todd Gurley as a runner does not look anything like the old Todd Gurley. Malcolm Brown has kind of fell by the wayside in terms of touches and productions since that opening week when he scored two touchdowns. I think the opera and the Rams as a whole, you know, we talked about Clemson on the collegiate level, the Rams as a whole don't look like the Rams that we were accustomed to, you know, for most of last year. And then they kind of struggled a little bit down the stretch, still made the Super Bowl. But I think there might become a time sooner rather than later that Sean McAvoy has to add a new wrinkle to that offense. And that wrinkle might be Darrell Henderson, his, his pass catching ability, his explosion and burst. I think the time is coming for him to get an opportunity. So you might want to be ahead on the curve. Someone who invested a first round dynasty rookie pick or early second round might be really frustrated, might be in the thick of contending this year and want to get something that can help them this year. I would see if I can get to what the cost on Darrell Henderson would be. I'd still be buying Matt. Any thoughts on those guys before I round it out with a quick discussion on the quarterbacks? Uh, no, I mean, I actually think in terms of, in terms of the wide receivers, I would also just add uh, another name just to just to throw out there. Um, in the wide receiver world, I would add uh, you know Deontay Johnson too. Um, Deontay Johnson already has uh, six receptions for six catches for seventy one yards and a touchdown tonight, and he's a player that you know in that wide open you know uh, offense that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's definitely emerging. So um, it looks like Deontay Johnson. You might have. He he probably that buy went by low window is probably closed um, in terms of getting him um, at a you know at a deal let's say I think people are going to pick him up off waivers but I still think that you could probably find somebody that's you know willing to maybe if you're willing to overpay for him and by overpay I think if you were willing to give them you know maybe a third round pick let's say in a in a rookie draft I think you could still be getting him for that and I think that that something is quite overpaying a little bit in most people's eyes. Um, but I think it could end up paying dividends. So I would, I would go and get Deontay Johnson. I would try to scalp him from somebody that's not really paying attention. And to your point, Paul, Kevin Harmon just keeps catching the football, by the way. I mean, he's getting two or three targets every game and he catches all two or three targets. So I, I'm still not, I'm still looking at that as an opportunity to go and get him um, as well. And you know what? I'll give you one more sneaky, sneaky, sneaky player. I'm interested in a very curious way to see if Foster Moreau ends up doing something as a secondary tight end in Oakland, given what they have at receiver, given what they're trying to do with Darren Waller, who's going to eventually get 
double teamed and, and he's going to get bracketed and it's going to get to the point where, you know, Josh Jacobs is showing, unfortunately, a little bit of wear and tear on him given the amount of carries he's had. I can see them maybe using Foster Moreau as like their, you know, third or tertiary target. It might be a guy that's worth having. You know, it might be an interesting tight end to just to keep on your back burner and pay attention to and see how and when and if he develops in a way that's meaningful. So just keep those guys on your back burner, so to speak. I, I still like I still like those guys, but um that was just something that came to my ball. Yeah, listen, I think Foster Moreau has a chance. I mean, they're basically using Darren Waller as a wide receiver and running mostly wide receiver routes, not really asking him to do anything in the tight end spectrum. So I do think there's a capability for Foster Moreau to develop there to more of the inline, complete tight end. Can that translate to relative consistent fantasy value not sure obviously he tested out much better at the combine in terms of overall athleticism i do think there is some untapped potential this week i think he had a couple catches and a touchdown so he is a guy who i think we should be at least keeping on our radar i'm glad you brought up deontay johnson he was a guy that we were really high on uh you know he was a guy that we constantly talked about as a sleeper guy so it's nice to see he went higher and i think even me and you expected him to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He seems to have leapfrog James Washington, a, a guy from the previous draft class that me and you were high on, and he's going to get his opportunity. I don't even honestly. I think if you, I think if you want to buy Deontay Johnson right now, I think it would probably if you're if you're talking about willing to overpay. I think it probably would end up costing a second right now, especially with today's performance in the books. Him leapfrogging. Uh, James Washington, them not having really any other playmaker and consistent receiver besides Juju Smith, that most likely the team who drafted him used a third-round pick to get him in most rookie drafts. So my guess is maybe because 2020 is such a great class, maybe somebody's desperate and and would and would sell him for the pick that they, you know, the round of the pick that they bought him in. But my guess is if you're wanted him and wanted to be aggressive in getting him it might even cost a a second round pick uh and then it would be is it worth it to invest a second round pick in him when we know what's ahead i I think it's an interesting question uh you know each dynasty owner would have to make that decision uh completely so let's round it out with the quarterback discussion because we talked a lot about daniel jones last week in his encore this week 23 of 31 225 yards one touchdown two interceptions wasn't asked to do as much this week uh giants played comfortably from a lead early on in the game uh jones looked good in the first quarter then threw back-to-back interceptions after that and based on how the game was playing they kind of seem to dial it back a little bit for him. I hope that wasn't a sign of things to come because the rest of the game, the rest of the game, it looked very similar to a late career Eli Manning game script. A lot of short passes, not really moving the launch point in the pocket much, not pushing the ball vertically down the field. All things that we saw Jones uh, shine in in the preseason and last week. Uh, but I still think his playmaking ability with his legs, I think, is is going to be a calling card of his. Uh, the ball placement. You know, minus those two interceptions, he was still pretty accurate, but it was mostly in the short to stuff, a little bit intermediate, but not really that intermediate to deep parts of the field, which we saw the, the, the week before. But I think he has shown that he can really grasp the mental side of it and overcome adversity. We saw that at times, even in preseason after a big hit. And now we saw it this week, you know. Right after the two interceptions, they got the ball back. He marched down the field to end the half, got a field goal, kind of settled things, and then it never really got competitive in the second half. Uh, so I think that's a, a really important trait 
because on the flip side, we started debut of Dwayne Haskins in this game and he looked nowhere capable of being a starting quarterback on the football field right now. He got thrown into the middle of the game, but it is against the Giants defense that has struggled. He just inaccurate, poor decision-making, holding on to the ball too long. You know, the whispers early in the season here have been he's not working hard. Again, we're not in the inner workings to know that. So all we can go by is the reports from like the Washington beat writers and stuff like that. But you do wonder if, there's a little bit more to that than maybe meets the eye because we were on record as we were so dumbfounded by the giants being so down on Haskins so early in the process that it was like from the combine, everybody associated with the giants beat writers and, and reporters were like, the giants are not in on Haskins at all. And we thought maybe it was just them playing coy, but you wonder if there was something about the interview, something about the process that turned the Giants off. And you wonder if if some of those things are made. And maybe it wasn't just the Giants. I mean, he went from everyone thinking he was a top five pick to falling to 15 and no one even going up to trade up for him. And there was a lot of talk that that was a Daniel Schneider pick and not a Gruden pick in Washington that that wasn't even the quarterback that he really wanted. So who knows, you know, if it wasn't Snyder's call there, you know, where Dwayne Haskins falls. And you wonder if there's something behind the scenes that we didn't see because we just evaluated him based on how ridiculously skilled and talented he looked at at Ohio State. But maybe there's a little bit more behind the scenes. Those are, we just don't really know. Uh, and then Kyler Murray continues to have his struggles early on in the year. But I think part of that's the surroundings. They have to let him throw a little bit more down the field. Everything is horizontal right now in that offense. Uh, he's keeping his fantasy value alive with his running ability. Matt, any thoughts to close out on any of those quarterbacks? Well, with, with Dwayne Haskins, I think it's important to also note that, I mean, again, where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and maybe maybe there is something going on that we don't know about. And to your point, um, it's curious because I think it's been also reported recently that Dwayne Haskins is exclusively working with the number twos. Um, he wasn't even working with the number ones in terms of the prep towards the offensive uh, to the offensive game plan. That was the next week's game. So he's been working exclusively with the number twos. So it doesn't surprise me that the circumstances kind of, you know, surrounding his first foray into the starting environment kind of created the situation that he was. I mean, listen, maybe there is all this stuff working around, right? Maybe this is all the issues and maybe there's more stuff going on that we don't know about, but you drafted this player in the first round and he's working exclusively with the number twos to whatever that report has validity or not. And you're expecting him to come into the middle of the game and be successful. And you know, there, there's a, there's a lot there to be, to be, to be discussed and maybe unpacked. And I, I don't know. And this is Paul, this is where we, you and I talk about, this is where we stop and the rest of the media world begins because we don't really have knowledge of this. We have no idea. I don't know from hearsay to, to actually what the transcript was from various types of, you know, interviews that were done. I don't know, but to your point, the giants are out early on a player that everybody is ecstatic about in terms of their overall ability. The NFL as a whole seems to be out on him as a top five player, not just the giants. Then, He's drafted and we're hearing whispers about a lack, as you said, of, of, you know, consistency or, or I don't know how to 
describe it just not being um you know you know not really being passionate or whatever it is and he's working with only the number twos and he hasn't been working with the number ones and he gets thrusted into this situation and we expect him to be you know we expect him to be good um and how can he be if these are all the things that we're talking about how can he possibly be ready for such a situation that is as crazy and chaotic as coming in in the second half because yeah it's crazy. You're you're basically playing with players that you haven't played with. You might as well just go out there and play backyard football. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think it speaks volumes that the word is that he might not even be the starter moving forward. That they might go to third stringer Colt McCoy. It it, it it things aren't adding up there because this guy should be the guy that you just kind of say, okay, he's going to get all the snaps with the ones. He's gonna we're gonna live and die with him this year. There's gonna be a lot of downs, but hopefully there's some ups and we see that growth and development and we kind of start the clock. We're we're winless. We're not going anywhere. And it just seems like something's not adding up. And I know his performance was dreadful yesterday, but you know we're talking about throwing him into the fire. But it's it's the Giants had a, a harder situation because they were moving on from a giant legend, a guy who brought them two Super Bowls. You I mean the Redskins were moving on from from Case Keenum? If Dwayne Haskins, you know, performed well in the preseason and training camp, he probably would have won the starting job from day one. Like they had no reason to stick with Case Keenum. And as we see now, they pulled him quickly and, and they went to Haskins. And if he looked adequate this week, he probably would have been the starter this week. But now there's word that they might go to Colt McCoy, you know, because they're playing New England this week and they probably don't want to throw Haskins into that fire. But it, it just seems like there's probably more behind the scenes. And, and you're right. We, we only can go by what we see on the field and, and, and that's it. But but it's an interesting storyline to follow on a guy who draft Twitter and, and stuff was very high on. His stat line was was gaudy to say the least at Ohio State. Uh, but so far, his early NFL career and and the reports that have came out haven't been glowing. So it, it's early. There's probably going to be a regime change in Washington after this year. So what is what does that mean for for Dwayne Haskins? It, it's interesting. Washington could be on their way of picking in the top five. Do we potentially see a Arizona? Do we see a Josh Rosen part exactly. two? Do we see that? Like, what if they what if they hire somebody and somebody says, "I don't want Dwayne Haskins. I want Justin Herbert, or I want Tua, or you know, or I want Jake Fromm, or I want you know." Jordan Love or, you know, pick a name. Like, are we on, you know, you never know what a regime change. Now, you know, Daniel Schneider is very hands-on and involved. So I'd have a hard time thinking that he would let the new coach or and or GM, if that was to happen, dictate that. Uh, but, but it's something to follow closely for sure. So, guys, there it is. NFL Rookie Report for week four. Matt, any parting shots here to close it out? No, I just want to thank everybody out there for, for giving Paul and I all the support. I know there's been, um, you know, several tweets that were put out just in, in just in response to, to our work and, and what we try to bring to the table each and every week. And, and I can't tell you how humbling it is, guys, to just even see those types of tweets come across your timeline every once in a while. Um, I know Paul and I just remark on and off about how, just how appreciative we are because we put our hearts and souls into this. We really do care about what we do and we we really do try to give you guys 
everything that we would do. Like <laughs> everything we're doing now is everything that we're doing in our own leagues. And just to hear that even some of you make us a part of your NFL football season or your college football season, I can't tell you how incredibly hum- uh, humbling that is to just even hear that. So thank you to everybody out there for just making us a part of your football season. Absolutely. I echo everything Matt just said there. If you enjoy, guys, what we've been doing on all these NFL draft reports, Debbie slants, Taylor the tapes, NFL rookie reports, please consider going over to the website, ssfootball.com. It's the quickest way to get there. Click on the premium content tab. And for $9.99, you get access to all four premium notebooks. You get immediately get the 2020 scouting notebook. It has a ready 25 wide receiver profiles, 29 quarter, uh, 29 running back, 18 quarterbacks, 16 tight ends, updated and edited throughout the year. Major update after the year. Uh, we add more players. We update the projections, everything we see from watching the film on these guys. You get the rankings notebook. It has our draft eligible rankings. It has our Devi rankings. It has our dynasty rookie rankings for this year's current NFL rookie class. Uh, we split it up into just the draft prospects. We do tiers for the draft prospects. We do 2020 Dynasty rookie rankings after the draft. And then in late March to mid-April, you get the 2020 Freshman Notebook, which will have player profiles on the top incoming freshmen, must-have for any Debbie player. And then you also get the 2020 Draft Projections Notebook, where we have tabs for every single position, offense and defense, notes on every single player, over 400 names in this thing. And we project from everything I'm hearing where we think they expect to go in the NFL Draft with an overall top 32 big board, top 100, and trying to project every single player taken in all seven rounds of the NFL draft. It is the best way to support us. It helps us grow and continue to do what we're doing. So we hopefully you think about purchasing it and checking it out for $9.99. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to Matt or Dave or myself or to SS Football Twitter handle as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.